Good morning from Los Angeles, California. This is the final installment of the podcast of my story, Return to Pleasure Island. This is Cory Doctorow reading you the uh, part four of the story that was published originally in Realms of Fantasy magazine back in the year 2000, subsequently reprinted in my short story collection, A Place So Foreign and Eight More, printed in the year 2003 from um, uh, Four Walls, Eight Windows Press. As I say, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm on my way to the Emerging Technology Conference. Had a very long and incredibly dreary flight yesterday from from London's Heathrow to LAX. It's uh, ten and a half hours, and it was a very very full flight back in coach. But um, we had a bulkhead seat. That was nice. And uh, going to see some friends in LA today before driving down to San Diego. Really looking forward to that. And like I say, this is the last installment of the uh, Return to Pleasure Island podcast, so I've picked out the next story to read to you, and that's Nimby and the D-Hoppers, a story that was originally published in Asimov's magazine in the year 2003, and subsequently in a year's best anthology. It's also been translated into French, Russian, and Chinese. It's my most translated work to date. Not sure why, but I sure like it. You'll get that in a couple, three days. I'll be reading it to you all this week while I'm in California. Hope you're having a great Sunday. Talk to you later. Bye. It didn't take long for George to start missing the midway. Stuck at the cabin with Bill and Tom, he sat against an outside wall and tried not to get in the way. He prepared meals in silence, taking a long time in the woods, gathering up choice morsels. Bill and Tom ate on the floor, away from the table. Bill chewed the tougher morsels first, and then put them in Tom's mouth with his crippled left hand. Most of the time, neither of them took any notice of George. One day he prepared a whole day's worth of meals and left them on the table, then walked to the Attilador at the other side of the woods. He boarded a tram and rode to the old midway entrance. The midway was fenced in with tall plywood sheets, and construction crews bustled over the naked skeletons of the new horror zone. Heavy machinery groaned and crashed. Nothing but the distant silhouettes of Action Land's skyline were familiar. George tried to imagine working here for years to come. An overwhelming sense of tiredness weighed him down. He took the tram back to the cabin and stripped off his clothes. They were browner than ever. His arms felt weak and tired. He suddenly knew that he would never have a son of his own. Bill and Tom were playing out front of the cabin. He sat in his usual spot against the wall and watched them. "'Bill,' he said softly. "'Yes,' Bill said. "'When will I have a son of my own?' Bill always knew the answers. Bill gathered Tom up to his chest unconsciously while he thought. "'I suppose that once Tom has grown, you could take some time off to have a son of your own.' To his own surprise, George said, "'I want a son now.' Bill said, "'That's out of the question, George. We're too busy with Tom.' On hearing Bill's annoyed tone, Tom leaned into him. George said, "'I'm not busy. I am old, though. If I don't have a son soon, I won't be able to care for it until it's old enough to care for me.' Bill said, "'You're thinking like father. We're living with the soft ones now. Orville will make sure that you and your son will be fine until he's grown.' George never won arguments with Bill." He went inside the cabin and set out dinner. Orville visited the brothers the next morning. He chucked Tom under the chin and shook hands with Bill. Then he took George out in the woods for a walk. "'Your brother tells me you want a son of your own,' he said. George nodded and stopped to put a small, mossy log in his basket. 
Bill doesn't want you to, huh? George didn't feel very comfortable discussing the family with Orville. That was Bill's job. After some thought, he said, Not right now. Orville said, I can see that makes you unhappy. No one should be unhappy here. I'll see what I can do. Come down to Ops tomorrow morning. We'll talk more. When George got back to the cabin, Bill was lying on his back on the floor, laughing while Tom climbed all over him. Tom still babbled, but they were real words now, though nonsensical. With his constant talking, he reminded George of Joe, and that made him even sadder. George had never been to Ops before, but he knew where it was, in a collection of low-slung prefab buildings hidden behind the topiary sculptures near Magic Land. He clutched his right thumb nervously as he stood and waited in the reception area for Orville to come and get him. The secretary had taken his name and buzzed Orville, and now kept sneaking him horrified looks. George's family were the only of their kind to leave their homeland and join the soft ones, and here at Ops there were any num number of low-ranking baboos who'd never heard of them. George was all smiles and effusion as he breezed through the glass security door and pounded George on the back. George, I'm so glad you came down. He took George by the arm and led him away, stopping to wink at the secretary, who looked at him with a mixture of disgust and admiration. Orville's office was buried in a twisting maze of door-lined, fluorescent-lit corridors, where busy soft ones talked on telephones and clattered on keyboards. He led George through his door into an office as big as their cabin. Orville paced and talked. Did I say I was glad you came? I'm glad you came. Now let's talk about Bill. Bill's happy. He's got what he wants. A son. He doesn't have to take care of Joe. It's good for him. He paused and looked at, looked at George. George nodded. Okay, there's a problem, though. You want a son, too. Only Bill won't allow it. It didn't need any comment. So George kept quiet. My thinking is, Bill's so busy with Tom, he wouldn't really notice if you were there or not. You're an adult. You can take care of yourself. Do you see where I'm going with this? Bill, George assumed it was a rhetorical question. Right. What I'm thinking is there's no reason that, you sh that both of you shouldn't have your own sons. This is Pleasure Island, after all. No one should be sad on Pleasure Island. You've worked hard and well for, and well for us for a long time here. We can take care of you. George felt an uncomfortable sensation in his stomach, a knot of guilt like rising vomit. I thought about having another cabin built in the woods, but that's no good. I think that you and Bill need your own space. So let me bounce my current thinking off of you. We'll put you up in the new monster's arms. That's the hotel we're building for the horror zone. It's way ahead of schedule, almost finished now. There's a penthouse suite you can take for as long as you like. It's only temporary, just until you and Bill have had some time to raise up your sons. Then we'll get the whole family back together, back at your cabin... The guilt rose higher, choking George. Don't worry about eating, either. I briefed the house chef on your tastes, and he'll send up three squares a day. Everything a growing boy needs. He flashed a grin. And forget about Bill. I'll smooth things over with him. He'll see that it's for the best. Finally, George had something to say. What about Joe? Orville had been almost dancing as he spoke, enchanted with his own words. He pulled up short when George spoke, though. What about him? I want to live with him again, George said. He's gone. You know that. Orville pointed his, finger, his fingers alongside his ears. Hee-haw, hee-haw. The monthly ferry takes him to the mainland tomorrow. I don't care about that, George said. 
I want him there. Orville said, I don't think that's such a good idea, uh, George. You're going, to, you're going away to concentrate on you. Jo Joe's a handful. Even now, I don't want you distracted. George said, I want Joe. Orville stared at him. George set his face into a blank mask. Finally, Orville said, If that's what you want, that's what you'll get. George didn't have anything to fetch from the cabin, and Orville thought it would be best if he spoke to Bill alone, so he sent George to the stables to get Joe. The donkey stables were, behind, were beyond Ops, at the very edge of the island, opposite the docks where the ferries brought new boys in. A different kind of boat docked there, large utility freighters that brought in everything the island needed, and took away braying, kicking herds of jackasses. The donkeys shifted nervously in their stalls. George smelled horse apples and hay, and heard fidgeting hooves and quiet, braying sobs. He wasn't clear on what happened to donkeys when they went back to the mainland, but he had an idea that it wasn't very pleasant. On the island, donkeys were prizes, a sign that a boy's every wish had been gratified. What happened afterwards wasn't something that they were encouraged to think about. He walked down the clean wooden aisles, peering into the stalls, looking for Joe. Finally, in a dark stall in the very darkest corner of the stables, he found him, a large pot-bellied jackass who leapt up and brayed loudly when he clucked his tongue at it. "'Joe?' he asked softly. The donkey brayed and kicked at the stall's door. It was always sp it were already splintered from many such kicks. George opened the catch and was nearly trampled beneath Joe's hooves as he ran out and away, braying loudly. George chased his brother. He didn't start out very fast, but once he got going, inertia made him unstoppable. He cornered Joe at the door that led out to the island. The donkey was kicking at it, trying for escape. George locked his strong right arm around Joe's neck. "'Stop it, Joe,' he said. "'I'm taking you out with me, but you have to stop it.' Joe's eyes rolled madly, and he struggled against George, kicking and biting. George waited in silence until the donkey tired, then used a bridle hanging on the wall to lead Joe out of the stables. When Joe saw Orville waiting for them, he went wild again. George caught him by the hind leg and dragged him to the ground, while Orville danced back with a strange grace. Orville grinned and said, "'I guess he doesn't like me very much.' He came forward and darted an affectionate pat on Joe's haunch. Joe brayed loudly, and George kept his own counsel. Orville led them down a utilidor and into an electric tram with an open car. George led Joe in and held on to his neck, while Orville sped down the utilidor. He drove up a service ramp and out into the horror zone, then to the doors of the newly completed Monster's Arms. George and Joe lived in the monster's arms. Every morning, Orville paid them a visit and snuck looks at George's thumbs. They were intact. George wanted to have a son, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. Orville's visits grew shorter, and Orville's manner grew more irritated. Still, George had no son. One day, he waited until Joe was napping and slipped out through the Iron Maiden elevator down into the t right down into the utilidor. The tram driver recognized him and took him out to the cabin. The last mile of the utilidor was dusty and disused. George left off the tram and quickly walked to the cabin, his heart racing. It had been so long since he'd seen Bill and little Tom. He missed them terribly. The little cabin was even smaller than George remembered it, and it looked sad, sagging and ramshackle. He hesitated at the door, 
Then, feeling a stranger, knocked. There was movement inside, but no voices, and the door stayed shut. George opened the door. It was a disaster. The kitchen cupboards were smashed in, the little table knocked over and splintered, the bedding scattered and soiled. Deep shadows collected in the corners. Bill, George called softly. A shadow stirred, an indistinct figure in its depths. Bill, it's George. I missed you. I need to talk with you. I'm confused. The shadow stirred again. George crept forward, peering, his old eyes night dimmed. Bill huddled in the corner, racked and wasted. He stared up at George through eyes filmed with tears. He held up his hands. They had already begun to shape themselves into hooves, but George could see that both his thumbs were gone. His ears were pointed and long. Oh, Bill, George said. His brother let out a braying sob, and George saw that he had no tongue. Orville came looking for them the next morning. Where are the sons? George asked him, while strunk, stroking the donkey's head in his lap. Orville smiled a slightly abashed smile. I'm keeping them safe. I didn't think that Bill was in any shape to take care of them. George said, I'll take care of them. Bring them here. George, too. He's at the room. I'll take care of them all. Orville smiled his abashed smile, and then gave George an, an ironic salute. Yes, sir, he said. He patted Bill's haunch and smiled to himself. George didn't know how to respond to irony, so he held his brother more tightly. Eventually Orville went away, and then came back a while after that. He drove an electric cart. In the front seat, three sons bounced. Tom, bright and curious, another strong and big, a third, whose little pot-belly jiggled as he talked and talked and talked. In a trailer, Joe kicked and fought against his bonds. George let him out first, and took, then took the sons to the porch. Joe and Bill stared at each other for a long moment, and then Bill brayed out a long, donkeyish laugh. Orville looked with proprietary satisfaction at the donkeys, then at the sons, then at George. He waggled a finger at George, as if to say, I'll be back for you some day. Then he got into his tram and drove off. George went back inside and made dinner for his family.